0: found us, whether you've hatched here, found us by accident, or just woke up out of some type of a dream. Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we're looking for individuals, we're looking to create themselves rather than find themselves, to look at life and reality from another perspective and view life as an epic adventure, There's no admittance fee required, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and the willingness to try. Join our conversation and get acquainted with an eclectic roster of guests. Expect the unexpected and get an assist into exploding into your life. With full impact mindfulness. Uh, good day, friends. I'm Jim Elmermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist. And as always, the producer of this program is my friend and co host and assistant producer, Mr. Mike. And today we're joined by a very special young lady. As you know, we love to hear recovery stories. We're not necessarily the horror part of it, but how people have dealt with adversity in their life and are standing and staring life right in the face. And And living life as life comes at you and today we're joined by Miss Emily welcome Miss Emily thank you so tell us a little bit just a little bit about yourself if you had to describe Miss Emily if you had to if there was a movie of Miss Emily what would what could the title possibly be
1: Oh no, I'm a weird person, so I'm not really sure
0: what is so the title might be a weird person, yeah, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So what makes a weird person, Emily?
1: Um, probably how I'm acting right now <laughs> so.
0: What you're sharing with people out there is many who maybe can correlate and resonate with how you're feeling right now, maybe feeling a little bit awkward, maybe yeah. feeling a little bit confused, maybe feeling like, gee, I really don't fit in here. I really don't belong. What do I say? I, I I just feel tongue-tied. And sometimes people feel like that in their lives, Emily. Yes. So would you say, and please, what we're trying to relate to is particularly other young ladies and other young men or whoever may feel that they don't quite fit into life. Did you ever feel like you just didn't quite fit in?
1: Uh, yeah, my whole life.
0: Mm. So could you share a little bit more about that? Share how, how it feels to be sometimes when you're feeling like you're on the outside.
1: Um, especially growing up, like having all the things, all material things that I could ever want and still feeling like something was not right and Being in a group of friends that were popular and, you know, doing all the cool things, the cool things, cool people did, but still something was just off and feeling out of place no matter where I am in life pretty much.
0: Okay, so what you're saying is I'm sure there's many people out there who could correlate and say, yeah, that's how I felt when we feel like you're talking about having the material things, meaning...
1: Like the right clothes that the kids are wearing and the right shoes and all the latest toys and all that nonsense.
0: Okay. And what you're saying is that you were also had a group of friends who would be considered the in people or the cool crowd or
1: mm-hmm. okay. and still feeling like I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't belong with the popular kids or well, actually I did belong somewhere with the uh druggies. <laughs> uh-huh. that's, that's where I felt like I belonged, I guess.
0: Okay. So you felt comfortable in that crowd. Yeah. Because?
1: They were all weird like me.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, as we often talk about, there's something that drives behavior. Okay. And quite often it's a feeling of being awkward or not fitting in or being maybe a few phases out of what is called norm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I would probably have a hunch, Emily, that when you were in middle school, high school, you were what we would call played an imposter most of the time.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: So tell us about that.
1: Just always pretending to be Something that I'm not and someone that I'm not just because I wanted acceptance. Basically, I wanted everyone's approval. hmm But in reality, I didn't even have my, like, I couldn't accept myself.
0: Okay. now Now we're getting down to really core issues. We're stripping away things. And what drives behavior is that low self concept low self esteem uh the identity formation so during this time what were you thinking about yourself Emily when you looked in the mirror what did you see
1: probably nothing really worth anything I, i've always been like a worrier so i was constantly living in fear of everything and i didn't like i didn't like how no matter how i looked on the outside what i saw in the mirror was not the same as what other people saw Mm. because I just pretended everything was okay all the time. Even though I was like, I was like a warrior to the point where when I was very little, my mom got me these little worry dolls. And if I was worried, I would like, it was, they're made out of matches and I would hold the little match thing and then think about my worry and put it in this little bag and tie it up and it was supposed to go away, but that never worked.
0: Ah, so You're saying this is a long-standing behavior of yours. Yes. Okay. So when did your parents start to realize that, hey, you know, uh, Emily's a bit more anxious than other kids?
1: I don't think they really – I think my mom noticed because she was the same way, but my dad didn't really. Okay. I don't think it was really on his list of priorities. Yeah.
0: How lonely were you, Emily? Pretty lonely. Yeah.
1: Even if I had – I could have 100 friends over and still – feel that loneliness inside.
0: Well, there's a, and again, you know, I think for everyone out there is well familiar with myself in long-term recovery from drug and alcohol addiction, uh, firmly entrenched in a 12-step world. And that's where I met uh, Miss Emily and was so impressed on her. And I hope you will too, as we go through her story, that the person in addiction knows loneliness like no other.
1: I would agree with that.
0: Okay. So even if when you were with your group of friends, maybe if you were laughing and joking and you were wearing the right clothes, what you're telling our audience is that you still didn't feel right. You still felt lonely.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: Okay. How much energy did you put into having to be that imposter and think, boy, Emily's a really neat girl. I bet a lot of people thought you were pretty cool.
1: Um, All my energy, basically, up until certain... Age, I guess. It was all when I directed my energy elsewhere.
0: Right. So eventually what happens out there is we need to compensate for these feelings of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. So what happened to you? Why don't you share with us? Some people do different things.
1: I would just get overly involved in things like if like I was a cheerleader and in dance and doing all these things and trying to... Uh, I was like a people pleaser, so... I would hang out with people that I really didn't even like just because they wanted to hang out or other people I was hanging out with wanted to hang out with them and ended up doing – like getting into smoking weed and drinking because that's what everyone else was doing and Mm -hmm. I wanted to do what everyone else was doing and still be – like I wanted to be accepted still. so You wanted
0: to be accepted. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that when we deal with is particular, and we often talk about this on this program, and I think it's very important, is that young ladies in particular begin to lose their self-concept and self-esteem around the age of nine years old because they're subjected to so much outside influences about what they should or shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So how did that affect you? Uh, I don't know what type of people you hung around with or wanted to be, what What? Type, what did you want to be? What did you believe you wanted to be?
1: Like when I grew up? Yeah. I wanted to be a nurse. Okay. Like my mom. Uh-huh. Because I've always been like really compassionate and always put, to a certain extent, put others before myself and mm-hmm. was always worried about if everyone else was okay.
0: Uh-huh. So you put others before yourself, you wanted to make sure everybody was okay, but as Quite often what we talk about on this show, uh, if you've ever flown on a flight and the flight attendant comes out and they ask you, they give the air mask instructions, who do they tell you to put it on first, Emily? Yourself. Correct. And that tells me that you were not doing that.
1: Oh, no. Definitely not.
0: Mm -hmm. How much time did you spend in your room alone?
1: (laughs) More than I'd like to admit.
0: Uh (laughs) Okay. So what was going on in there? What What was the script going on inside of a young Emily's head? was going was a conversation I I don't
1: remember much but I know like always thinking like uh, physical things like I'm too ugly I'm fat and just thinking like no one's ever gonna love me because I know as a young girl like you know you want to grow up and you have want to get married and have children and all this stuff and even like at a really young age just thinking like I was never going to be enough for that,
0: I was never going to be enough. Yeah. Okay. All righty. So, and then when we try to compensate for that, when we try to bury those thoughts and feelings, generally, what do people turn to? You mentioned it earlier about uh, beginning to smoke weed, doing, drinking, doing whatever to to fit in, to make yourself feel okay. Mm-hmm. So, tell us about that. When did when uh, when did that start to enter into your life, Emily?
1: I was probably like fourteen or fifteen. Okay. That's when I started with cigarettes mm-hmm. <laughs> at the movie theater, trying to impress uh, the kids I was around. I guess like, mm-hmm. and then um, I had an older brother who he was already like smoke. He was what sixteen when I was fourteen, so he was like smoking weed and drinking with his friends, uh-huh. and it it turned him. Um, he was like socially awkward, mm-hmm. and when I was younger. Like, for instance, on vacation, I would, I would, like, make friends with all the people that were staying in the houses around us. And then my brother would – he was, like, super shy. And what I saw, um, once he started, like, drinking and smoking, he, like, became popular. And it made him, like, this really cool kid. And that's what I wanted to be. Like, I wanted to feel as carefree as he looked like he was. Oh,
0: okay. Great. So, naturally – you did what they did. Mm-hmm. So how did that make you feel? Good. Yeah, <laughs> sure it did. Okay, sure. Did you feel like you fit in then? Yeah. Did you feel like you could talk to people more easily?
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Did you feel like you were more likable?
1: Yeah, I had I was more confident. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if it was being more confident or just not really caring what people thought then at that point.
0: Okay. So as you and is everyone out there and i'll say this addiction is a progressive disease tell us tell us how that went tell us how that went period of your life progressed
1: um i mean first it was just for fun and what kids did on the weekend and that was good for like 2 years and when i was 16 my brother passed away in a car accident and that's when i started drinking and smoking weed, among other things, to um, not feel the pain that I was feeling, essentially, then.
0: So your brother passed away in a tragic automobile accident Mm -hmm. when you were 16. How did that affect you, Emily?
1: Oh, I might cry. (laughs) Um, The hardest part was watching my um, parents and Experiencing their loss like through, you know, nothing really compares to losing a child, I guess. I And watching, my parents both drank, so watching like the way that their lives turned into, you know, the party parents into like the crying all night and punching walls and that kind of stuff. That affected me more than I think I let the losing my brother affect me. It was, um, and I was trying to be strong for them because that's like what everyone said I should do is be strong for my parents. everyone
0: said you should be strong for your parents. Mm -hmm. Was anybody strong for you? What type of a support system did you have, Emily? I
1: think my parents tried, but I always would just like, for the most part, act like I was okay because I didn't want... To upset them because I felt like selfish for grieving my brother because they lost their son, which I know has got to be, you know, mm. now that I have a child of my own, that has to be way more significant than the loss of a sibling
0: Well, this is one thing that we try to impress upon everyone out there, that everyone's feelings and pain are special and unique. And the pain that you feel cannot be compared with anybody else's, or no one can tell you that your pain isn't as significant as someone else. That's outrageous. How dare they?
1: Yeah, I know that now. But at the time, like, I turned 16 a month and a day before he passed away, so I was still, like really, really young. Like, I don't even think, had I not been using, um, like, smoking weed and drinking, I don't think that I would have, I don't think anyone that young can really fully, properly grieve at that age.
0: That's a great deal of insight that you're showing on your part. It shows us how you've developed some maturity through through these years. (laughs) Shockingly. (laughs) So, that sounds like a pretty turbulent time pretty pretty tragic full of uh, a lot of negative energy in that home oh
1: yeah definitely
0: so (laughs) so tell me how emily dealt with that i mean your parents were going through their own particular grieving in hell Uh, so tell us about you
1: i just did whatever i could to not feel and i am blessed that my brother had a few really close friends that kind of like stepped in and not really stepped in because we were, they always kind of, I think, looked at me as like their little sister they never wanted, but um, they really stepped in and gave me a lot of support for a good while until I, you know, screwed that up. Okay.
0: <laughs> screwed it up.
1: Yes. Um, eventually, my, you know, smoking weed and drinking and doing other substance since on occasion turned into like a daily thing and was kept graduating to more serious drugs like heroin and all that kind of stuff and I uh, lost sight of like who I was and who was important to me and Burned a lot of bridges that way. That's an
0: important statement that you just said. I lost sight of myself and lost who I was. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? This is important that other people hear this.
1: Well, I just turned into a monster. or like The person that I was before drugs in any form, really, and the person that I became while I was on drugs, especially heroin and cocaine, like... I was a monster. I didn't care. I didn't care about myself, so I couldn't care about anybody else. I didn't care. All I cared about was what I could get from you or what you could give me and what I could use you for, basically. And it's, I'm you know, I'm not that person. That's not me.
0: Okay. That that isn't you, and you you had mentioned that earlier. So when we talk about that first step in 12-step recovery, admitted we're powerless and our life's unmanageable, I think you're describing that very nicely. The unmanageability of addiction is not the car wrecks and the broken health, the ruined relationships, the employment, the trouble with the law. It's losing who you are.
1: Yeah, I um <clears throat> actually just reread something I had wrote a couple of years ago when I was in state prison, and I think that that piece that I wrote can. There's no better description of my experience in addiction. Um, but just basically, like, <clears throat> getting to the point where it's like, I'm just like a shadow of who I used to be. I'm, you know, my physically, I'm the same person. Well, not really, probably like 50 pounds less, but um, being a stranger, like looking in the mirror, not wanting to look in the mirror because I don't recognize who I am and the things that I do are just despicable, you know i I wrote in this piece that I haven't really shared with anybody is like you know you you steal and thieve from other people and then eventually you steal and thieve from yourself and end up selling yourself, whether it's physically or just like your soul for powder mm-hmm. in a bag.